0: Everywhere um, We're actually, you're listening to actually Peter and Ann Hagen on the menu, and we're going to be talking um, mainly booze and no booze today rather than specialty food, uh, starting with Finn um, Walter, um, who has a restaurant um, that has a non-alcoholic cocktail hour. If you could believe that, and his restaurant is called Nicolette. Let's listen to. We're we're talking to Finn Walter, who is um, the the second uh, person we're we're discussing this new non-alcoholic trend and uh, with, and he has a restaurant in um, Lubbock, Texas, which is his hometown. it features. It's called Nicolette, and it features a non-alcoholic cocktail hour. That sounds a bit strange. Um, and, and I must say that um, Finn also uh, was a, um, a runner-up for the Best Tex Chef Texas, right?
1: Uh yes, that's correct. In uh, yes, for the James Beard
0: Foundation. Yes, right. Yes. Okay, so here we are. And we we saw people, um, we saw people drinking a lot during the uh, the mm-hmm. pandemic, I guess. So I mean sure. that's one of the jumping off points here. But first, tell us a little bit about your background, Stan, because you've been around, and well, we would certainly like to know a little bit more about Nicolette. Which I've never been in Lubbock, Texas, so I've never been to your restaurant. Well, you can come, come and start get with, with you
1: sometimes. So, um, so my background is I was born and raised in Lubbock, Texas. My father is actually from um, originally the Pittsburgh area. My mother from uh, the Boston area. Uh, they moved to Lubbock from New York in about 1979. So I was born and raised here. Um, my father is a doctor and, and the work um, as a cardiologist moved him to West Texas, which at that time um, was building a very strong medical community. Um, my mother never quite got used to Texas as a whole, um, and my father worked quite a bit, so during the holidays, summers, we traveled quite a bit, got to experience dining specifically in a lot of other places, whether it was Europe, uh, New England, Santa Fe, um, California, um, so it kind of, I think for me showed a very different um, side of dining than what I saw in my own hometown and kind of informed me as to what I wanted to do, which uh, at a very young age I knew I wanted to have a place of my own and, and I didn't know exactly, but something called to me from the kitchen. Um, I wanted originally to move to Paris um, when I was 18 and graduated from high school, but that was coming from uh My mother's father, my father being Harvard doctors, it was you go to a four-year school and then you go to a graduate school. So that wasn't exactly (laughs) um, quite as accepted as it it is now. So I went to a small school called Bates College after spending my first semester in Berlin, um, received a degree in history, um, but decided I I, I still I, I wanted to pursue the kitchen, um, and, and start working, um, kind of did a self-fashioned, um, training in the kitchen, which, um, you know, after receiving a four-year degree from a, from a nice, um, somewhat expensive liberal arts school, I wanted to make sure that it's what I wanted to do the rest of my life before I went to a CIA or to a, uh, a Uh NECU or another culinary school. Um, so it brought me to Austin where I worked my first, you know, back in those days, 15, well, 20 plus years ago, uh, fine dining in in Austin was like a nice steakhouse, kind of like a Fleming's or something like that. It just happened to be locally owned, um, and realized after my first paycheck that I would need to have two jobs in order to, um, (laughs) so I always, uh, found myself... Working in the mornings, working short order and working fine dining at night, um, which one paid for my rent and the other uh, really kind of uh, trained me uh, and started to expose me to more uh, more and more fine dining um, restaurants uh, culminating um, in you know a year spent in Paris, time in San Francisco at a two Michelin star restaurant as well as at the restaurant at Meadowood when it received its third Michelin oh, star. I was there too.
0: Huh? Yes. Whatever whatever uh, happened to him? Uh to Costell, Christopher Costell? Yeah. He uh he just
1: opened a uh a Jewish delicatessen but Jew-ish um That's kind right. of where he at the Oxbow market in Napa. And he also has the Charter Oak in St. Helena and, and Sue in, I'm probably messing up the pronunciation, but Shenzhen, uh in China. And obviously uh, during the fires, the glass fire in the Napa Valley oh, that was was, awful, yeah. specifically was, uh, was burned down. Actually, my yeah. good friend, Kim McPherson, who's the winemaker here in West Texas, actually his wife, um, was the one who first sent me pictures, and I said that looked like Meadowwood and she said it is. Oh, so no. that was um, that was right
2: about the point when we were opening when that fire um, oh,
0: happened. Dear. It was awful. I mean, it really. Yeah. What,
2: what, yes. Rita, what, what, what was what was the name of the restaurant in Dallas that had sort of like it, 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 it had something like a, about a place with water. And the chef was um. Dean Faring or something like that. Oh, uh, Dean, yeah,
0: that was all time there. Dean
2: the uh, mansion at Turtle Creek. That,
0: that's, that's it. Yeah, it? we
2: we had, uh, a, we had a fun we had a fun experience there that I that I should sh- yeah. share with you, and you see if you have any similar ones. But
1: uh, sure, I've been I,
2: de- I mean, de- 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 at my first. We, we, sorry, go ahead. We decided we would play a game on the wine waiter, so we mm-hmm. said. It's been our practice wherever we go to dine, that we drink wines of the country. So your job, Mr. Winemaker, is to provide us with a white wine and a red wine, both made in Texas. <laughs> and he he didn't he didn't bat an eyelid. He, he got out <laughs> his book of tex He got out his book of Texas wines and pr- proceeded to recommend some extraordinarily fine West Texas wines.
1: <laughs> That's where. The wine country. A lot of people associate Fredericksburg and the hill country with the wine, but most of the grapes are grown out here, and winemakers like Kim McPherson, second generation, are the ones yeah. who largely influence the the winemaking of the state. And obviously, it's you know it's influenced heavily by um, Spanish and and Southern French varietals that that can actually survive out here in dry, very harsh. Conditions, um, right, but right. something very different than trying to you know put Texas wine you know the fruit itself up against a Sonoma you know, Napa um, you know Mendocino that just kind of different worlds and, and different
0: uh, styles of winemaking.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. well, well okay. there, we also we met that really fascinating uh, black guy who uh, oh, had yeah. some. What was it? He drank. And it set him, like a young man, and it set him off, and he owns his own vineyard, and he heads oh. up. Is this Sanglier? No. He's,
2: his no? Name, his name was, he was known as Mac. His last name was MacDonald. Mac MacDonald. And he called himself Mac. And uh, okay. apparently, early in his career doing something, he got the taste of a Bordeaux red wine, and he decided mm-hmm. that what he was going to do with the rest of his life was make wine like that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Of course, he he moved yeah. from Texas. I mean, <laughs> sure.
2: Sounds
0: I sounds feel sounds like, like I've, I've heard this story, um,
1: like he's yeah, originally from Texas and moved to the Napa Valley and was taken under right. the wing of some very high-profile winemakers. You got
2: mm-hmm. it. That's exactly what it was. Yeah. Uh, the funniest thing of all. The uh, funniest thing of all is that we interviewed him at a wine event in Pittsburgh called the Pittsburgh Wine Festival, and we were we were walking out of the parking lot of the football stadium where it was held, just about the same time. So we saw MacDonald and we said, "How about we do an interview with you?" So. He wasn't sure that was such a good idea, but we did it anyway. <laughs> Opened the trunk of the car, set up the what was,
0: <laughs> our equipment well, at it, the time. It was
2: then a very primitive piece of sound equipment, and proceeded to record an interview with
0: him. Yeah, it was fun. Well, listen, we're getting <laughs> away from the subject now, as a, we we have you now back in um, at, in Texas, and yeah, um, yeah, and and you open. Nicolette, And what was the concept behind Nicolette? Uh, for me, a lot of the
1: concept was it really
0: taking all of my travels, all of my training,
1: um, you know, kind of those sensibilities that I learned of micro-seasonality and things along those lines in Northern California as well as French technique. Um, you know, also, I mean, I was a history major. So for me, I always enjoyed researching and understanding kind of what came before, which is where the name came from. It's named the Nicolette after the original Nicolette. Yeah. um Hotel in Lubbock, which is where the city was actually formed. The very first mayor of the city owned it. Um, I mean, I've had guests whose grandmothers or great-grandmothers played the piano at the Nicolette. It was the only <laughs> form of hospitality between Abilene and Santa Fe. Um, so it shaped this region and was the first form of hospitality, which is kind of, for me, sig- and it was at one point they uh, further north of town, and then they moved it on wheels and brought it to what is now downtown Lubbock,
2: um, oh, only yeah. a couple
1: blocks away from where we are. Uh, my attorney actually is the one. When we found out that we were going to receive all of our, you know, funding and and everything through investors, said I finally had to come up with a name and that he wouldn't fa- um, set up an LLC for me unless I had a name and I had about an hour and a half to do it. <laughs> so, well, I so, was kind so. of driving home, freaking out. And, and anyways, I'm but but it's it's a restaurant that pays homage mm. to that kind of. You know, tradition of singers, songwriters, artisans,
0: craftsmen. Sounds good. Artists
1: Sounds good. Sounds like a place
0: I'd like to go to. <laughs> yeah, now, but, now, but When when you introduce a new, sorry, go ahead. No, when when you didn't open as a non-alcoholic uh, no. center. Um, no. What explain this trend to us and how you got to to be setting up. Um, a rather um, interesting cocktail hour, which is all made up of non-alcoholic cocktails. Yes. So So what led you?
1: Yeah, I mean, for me, um, I think as far as I'm aware, we were one of the first restaurants kind of in this whole region to open with non-alcoholic spirits on our shelves as well as non-alcoholic beers and other beverages. Um, It's always been something that's been... um, kind of uh, in the back of my mind and, and you know, close to my heart uh, for ver- for various personal reasons. Um, but you but, did
0: have well, real alcohol, too, huh? Oh, absolutely. I'd say yeah. wine,
1: wine is our primary uh, selling point, and our entire okay. wine list is influenced by my travels, whether so it's heavy on the French, heavy on the Northern California, as well as our house wines that are made by Kim McPherson. Um but okay. we opened with non alcoholic uh beverages uh, because to me it's something that can you know, more floral in nature sometimes. It can it goes with our food, um, very seamlessly and it's um honestly it's something that no one had really tapped into in this entire area. Um and to me, um if some you know, someone can have three Cocktails rather than you know two glasses of wine and still you know not need a nap afterwards and not and be safe to drive and, and you know those beverages cost the same amount
0: right because
1: um, and
0: so now how was it conce- how was it um, received when you did this? it was few- huge uh, I think it, before
1: we did our first pop up um, it actually. Um, Was fortunate enough to get a small write-up in Forbes uh, that I think really that resonated more with our local clientele than almost any of the other things that we've done, and it was an absolutely huge turnout. I mean, we, you know, our our business for that day, especially in in any form of beverage—wine, beer, non-alcoholic—was probably. uh, four to five times the amount of what we would usually sell on a Thursday night. Um, and so I think like a very big amount, you know, I think there are a lot of people here, um, traditionally, um, it's this, this area has, has been very religious, but also a place where there's some pretty wild people out there too. Um, uh-huh. so I think that, um, Drinking is part of the culture, but also abstinence is part of that culture equally. Um, so I think in a lot of ways it, 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 they they work well together.
0: Huh. Sure. So um, now I mean you, you must have some pretty hip bartenders as well. We do. Um, we they have to, uh, From know. what I understand, it's a whole new learning curve. Uh, uh, sure. Instead of the traditional bartending skills?
1: Well, in a lot of it, we're actually opening a bar next door, and for me, I've found um, doing that to be focusing a lot more. I, I've, I've largely been helping to write our cocktail menus along with one of my other bartenders. So a lot of my training was in pastry, which is actually lends itself very much to it, in focusing on certain flavors and what you're trying to do and, and working with certain percentages um and and being able to step into those. So I would say in a lot of ways it's very um akin in flavor profiles and delicacy to pastry work or well thought out pastry.
0: Mhm. Interesting. Um so can you give us some examples of, of your concoctions? Sure
1: uh, one that we have that would be one of the most uh, popular is called I love Yuzu We're getting proper um, proper yuzu juice from Japan um, and using a product called Gia which is filled with a lot of um, herbs and fruits and 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 you know, kind of things that make you feel well. Um that's another great thing about the non alcoholic spirits and things is largely they don't they're not filled with sugar in the same way that a lot of um alcohol driven things are because obviously they're um, directly from uh sugar at times. So um the I love Yuzu is a huge uh success there and it's just Yuzu juice, the Gia and um, some Topo Chico. Um, another we've started using is a Spiritless 74, uh, which is a non-alcoholic uh, bourbon that has been ice distilled. And it seems like a lot of these non-alcoholic products uh, are being ice distilled, which you know, if anything, that it's you can get very close. Are our, our in what we, call, what we call an in-fashion rather than old-fashioned is. is you know, it, 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 if someone's looking for a non-alcoholic drink that like tastes like a drink, um, mm-hmm. those are you know our whiskey sour are are in fashion. Those those are ones I think you know some people are not are, are having non-alcoholic drinks for specific reasons. Some people may not want a drink that tastes too close to an actual drink.
0: Yeah, well that's, um, that way. was one of my initial objections. Is sure. I, I had some sure, sure. friends who went through AA um, yep. and what they yep. did was they were drinking non-alcoholic beer which was the right. same ritual that they had from a can right. of alcoholic and then it beer. Triggered,
1: and then it triggers the you know
0: same response yes. or, or exactly. to the brain.
1: And yes, so we are very explicit on that. I mean like you know, our I Love Yuzu tastes like a really well-crafted, nice drink. It doesn't taste necessary. Uh, you know, like we have ones that are geared towards, they are like an alcoholic, like are in fashion. It's, you know, it is very close to an actual um, old-fashioned flavor, whereas right. the I Love Yuzu is more just like it's just like a nice drink that isn't a Coca Cola, isn't a tea, isn't uh, you know a Shirley Temple that's filled with sugar. Um, so I think that part of that is yes, I would never want to uh, you know affect someone who has been through AA or, or had different um, you know like choices that they've made in life and, and have them revert to old habits from something yeah. like that. And it does seem like, you know, certain non alcoholic, like beers, we've looked at some wines and things like that, uh, which, you know, I, I spent a lot of time in Northern California and France, so like, there is skepticism there, um, but I have tried a couple sparkling roses, um, you know, that are very close, uh, uh-huh. I, you know, I definitely, uh, don't drink nearly as much as I once did uh, so it's something that I pay a lot of attention to like I think a lot of chefs specifically my age um, you know certain habits and things when you were in your 20s were one thing and you know they uh, they change you know in time
0: yeah well I, mean, they, I was just saying to, to Peter the other day I mean we interviewed somebody a long time ago who um she wanted something uh, delicious to to drink when everybody else mm-hmm. was having a cocktail but she was sure. pregnant and that uh-huh. got her interested in it and uh, well it's now a big brand it's called hint which is not okay. the awful I'm not, sugary I'm sure stuff I'll
1: have to look into it
0: Oh, it's good. I mean, it's not the heavy okay. duty sugar stuff. It's, it's actually refreshing and, um, and the, the, the great flavors available, you know, so you don't feel deprived. It's wonderful. But, you know, that's sort of, and this, this big now. It's, you know, international at this point, so. But, well, now where do you think we're all going to go with this? Is there going to be any kind of a backlash or something by all these big, and we, we get, daily um notices of new spirits operations sure
1: i mean i've i've spoken with people um like zero proof uh cocktail like sourcing different non-alcoholic spirits and and you know in the U.S., this is much more of a new trend. And, you know, in New York, it it, it was what probably started to be a trend five-plus years ago. I think COVID in certain areas of the country exacerbated that, you know, people overcompensating for, uh, you know, habits that maybe they developed when they were stuck at home. Um,
0: mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: you know, so, for months at a time. But I, I think that other areas of the world, this is, uh, specifically from my understanding and like Northern Europe, like this is something that, um, has been a trend in, in certain areas for 10 or 15 years. I mean, I, right. when I was in Santa Fe, uh, specifically for my wife and I moved from Santa Fe to Lubbock for me to go and get my, my MBA, um, at the university here. But, like things like shims and low alcohol beverages were actually mm-hmm. very popular. A because it's very difficult to get a liquor license in the state of New Mexico, and also because someone can have a, a you know two or three drinks and not be a, a and be at high altitude and not just be you know um, through sheets. Yeah, that, that affects so it I, doesn't you know, altitude it you, it. you know like you go from like sea level to almost 10,000 feet, and it just, like, it has an effect. And um, so those are things that I definitely saw a lot at different restaurants whether for, you know, various reasons there. Um, and, you know, I, I imagine there'll be a backlash, and it's just, like, everything, there are a lot of new products on the market, some of which are good, some of which are not very good,
2: you know? Yeah. Like,
1: I've, I've tasted some that, May smell like a tequila, but when you taste it, it tastes like nothing. Um I, you know, uh, there are ones that, like obviously, like Seedless are a pretty huge name brand. You know that have similarities to certain spirits, but not necessarily going for a false whiskey or a false uh, right. rum or tequila.
0: Hey, did you get your MBA?
1: Yes, I did. In 2019. <laughs> that was in, originally... In
0: history, huh? No,
1: in business.
0: In business. I mean, MBA, yeah, why I, I, not? I, like it? I was thinking yeah, MA. That. you got MBA, you got business. Well, that's yeah. good, too. It's yes. useful, too. It, it, but, it
1: was. That's originally how we ended up back in my hometown. And then I found a space that, to me, encompassed places like where I worked in... Uh, specifically in Napa and 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 France so like to me a place that is where you know we're hopefully worth a journey one of these days
0: well you seem to be on the right track and I'm I'm with you as I think that this is a, a new it's a direction that I think is going to be a lasting direction I mean, almost yeah. a culmination of, like, how many, you go outside of the U.S., and, I mean, if you're in Australia, you don't dare, dare have um, two beers, you know, you just wouldn't if you're going to be driving. So, I mean, right. I think it's a big correction in lifestyle to what it used to be, Yeah, which has and- long-term reper- repercussions, which are all on a good side, so. Yeah, yeah, which when we
1: announced our pop-up, we had people come in and, you know,
0: say nice things or
1: post stories on Instagram that said, you know, thank you for making Lubbock a safer place, you know, like yeah. pictures of them having non-alcoholic cocktails in you know, in flutes or, or, you know, so I think that, I think there's appreciation, you know, obviously there are elements of, of I don't know part of moving back to my hometown and doing a restaurant like this is to introduce things that maybe um, haven't been done here before or even tried. Um,
0: Take what I've
1: learned elsewhere and do it in in a way that's honest to where we are, but also like learn from those things and what's been successful or not successful and and kind of introduce or, or bring them in our own way here.
0: So many, well, you know, so many, there's so many counter directions, like, um, I, here they are with um, this, well, here we are with this trend, uh, less alcohol consumption, at the same time that they're legalizing weed. <laughs> right, <laughs> you know? right. Which, which I don't, I don't even understand, um, you know, and, and I'm, you know, I'm I'm a child of the, the era. <laughs> sure, sure. And, uh yeah, and I don't understand why anybody would want to legalize it. You're going to have as many um, a, a car accidents and, and other kinds right. of dangerous behaviors and, and everything. But you know, who's for me to say? I'm, I don't know. Well, let's hope that we go in the right direction. We hope that you have continued success uh, chefing and touring. And I, I really want to thank you for taking the time to talk to us. You make me want to Absolutely. actually go to uh, to Lubbock. <laughs> well, we that's kind of our goal.
1: That's our hope, you know. Um, we have people that are driving from other cities in this state or elsewhere, and we like to be, you know, that midway uh, stop. Yeah. So, whether on their way to Colorado or New Mexico or to California, we've actually had people coming from all of those different places.
0: Well, Finn Walter and Nicolette, thank you very much uh, for your yeah. contribution to, to On the Menu Radio. Thank you for so talking you to us, Finn. Yes, absolutely. to be the first time I've ever talked to anybody in Lubbock, Texas. At any rate, we'll have to go there sometime and experience this wonderful hospitality that Finn been um, Next up, um, we're going to talk to Sean Enright, who's probably um, one of the most talented, uh, smart people I know, um, general manager of Spork Restaurant in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Um, and he's a, a knock-your-socks-off barman as well Um, we're going to talk to him about spork temperance cocktail program which has gotten national acclaim and we're talking to Sean Enright who's manager of um, spork a a really wonderful Pittsburgh restaurant Um, and spork has done a a number of pioneering things early on with a a vegetarian tasting menu. And um, uh, this one is called the Spork Temperance Cocktail Program. And we're going to be talking to Sean about it because uh, we've determined that this low-alcohol, non-alcoholic trend is is, uh, uh, coming across all over the country, maybe even the world. I don't know about the world on it. Um, Sean but well, and welcome to on the menu and let's talk about this program um absolutely good to have good to talk to you guys yeah yeah i haven't talked i i talked to you for a while um it the let's start out with i mean it is definitely a trend right and it involves oh, how you do um,
3: we yeah. at sport we've actually traveled uh all the way from uh, Chicago to Boston to Copenhagen to London to to try uh, different N.A. beverage cocktail programs. So it is something that's going on all over the world. They're doing it at Noma uh, in Copenhagen. Uh, we did a bunch when I was in London back in March. Uh, we tried a number of places that had the N.A. programs.
0: Yeah, that was a great trip for you. I I read on your Facebook account because it was a coming home party, of sorts, of when you actually worked in London and lived in London. Yes, right? it was. Yeah. Well, it's easy to be in love with London, I think. I I just I love it myself. Um, so, um, tell me why you think we're doing that now? I mean, you you think that it might be the opposite since we've been through this horrible pandemic and all the, the awful political scenes across the, around the world. Why do you think we're in this trend, though?
3: Um, you know, we were always doing it before, uh, the, before the COVID epidemic. But I, in my opinion, it's become even more important. I think uh, a lot of people, you know, they were staying at home. Uh, they were sort of finding themselves, trying to find new, healthier lifestyles. I know a lot of people uh, personally who gave up drinking during that period. Um, they,
0: there were also, and, though, uh, on the other side, you know, people that p- drank more. There were lots of people who there drank. There were a lot
3: of people that drank more. And uh, here in Pittsburgh, we actually uh, ended up losing one of our favorite bartenders uh, to alcoholism. And so that you certainly the, what, influenced my favorite the, the bartending community. Uh it, Joe Max uh, Max Stein, who was at uh, Hidden Harbor, Uh, great kid, uh, and you know that the uh, staying at home just it just uh, impacted his issues he might have already had.
0: You mean he died?
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. He passed away. Suicide. Uh, No, I mean he just basically drank himself to death. He ended up in a. he ended up in the hospital and uh, just never recovered.
0: Oh my oh dear, I didn't know any of that. Well, you certainly have motivation for exploring this trend. I think, because um, you've had a long, t- a long interest in this. I remember you and I had to go around about the pin project, and we never really yes, got yeah. to the core of that. And who to interview about it? But tell us a little bit about that.
3: Yeah, so the the pin project uh, was basically created by uh, some bartenders, uh, who, you know, in the bartending uh, community, it's very it's uh, very popular to when you finish a shift, you go out for drinks. You're around alcohol all the time. You know, there is there's a certain aspect of you're trying to educate yourself constantly, and so you're constantly Drinking, going out. And then you know, we when you're with other bartenders there are shots and you know. So for me personally, uh this it was a pin project. We wear a pin and uh it lets other bartenders know that for the time being you're not drinking and you you can you can wear the pin and be you know, just want to go hundred percent sober for the rest of your life or you can just do it in intervals. Um you know, I know I have a tendency to have these uh surges where i'm just going out a little bit too much and i I felt you know i'm going to i need to take a break i want to uh i want to take a break i want to let other bartenders know that i'm i'm not going to be partaking for a while and uh and so this pin project was just uh a lot of bartenders in pittsburgh started wearing these pins and it was just a nice way of uh you know not not you know saying uh i'm abstaining forever and uh I quit, but by, by saying I can still go out, I can still enjoy everybody's company, but for the time being, I will be uh, holding right. back on drinking. That's
0: great. And, and you also have a sense of camaraderie doing it with the pen, right?
3: Yes, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, there's a number of people who are doing it here in Pittsburgh.
0: Right. Um, so how do you explain the difference between the people that – backed off from alcohol and people who overdid it. I don't understand. Um, it's a health thing in many ways, right?
3: Yes. I mean, yeah, and and like I said, in this industry, it's really easy to overdo it. You know, we, mm-hmm. we're always having uh, events and, uh, you know, we have Bartenders Guild meetings and we're, uh, we have Bartenders Guild uh, activities where it's just you're always encompassed by the alcohol industry so uh you know it's really easy to overdo it when you are a bartender um
0: yeah
3: and so you know it's just something that that project basically was designed specifically for bartenders to
0: uh-huh now um if there are ramifications to this no alcohol low alcohol thing um, in, in other quarters of, of the industry, the entertainment, um, food and entertainment and drinks and industry, um, there, there's there been a surge in non-alcoholic beverages that were um, – the surge was unleashed by, at first, um, pregnant women because they, they wanted to be able to go out and have a cocktail and still – being pregnant, they weren't any, allowed any alcohol. So some of these people um, made soft drinks, non-alcoholic drinks, that would substitute for the alcoholic drinks and built it into a pretty big business. And, and there's been this whole rush. We just finished the fancy food show in, in um, New York City. And um, there, there were so many salted-like uh, beverages debuted there were non-alcoholic, so there has to be a pretty broad acceptance of it because it's it's monetarily defined as successful if you could do that.
3: Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, right now um, there's a number of uh, spirit, you know, non-alcoholic spirits. So Those distilled but it has no alcohol in it. It's like Seed Lip is one that we use uh, quite often at Spork, and uh, Ritual, who do sort of tequila, whiskey, gin, alternatives, they're called. No alcohol, yeah. but they're going to give you the same kind of flavor profiles, so you can yeah. use them in cocktails. So there's definitely there, there's an industry there as well, yeah. and there's money to be Ritual,
0: made. I know. That's been, yeah, they've been on the show, I think, too. Um, yeah, and 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 there's a social component to it and a health component to it, both right
3: yes, yeah um and, and you know for us it was we didn't want to just be marketing to uh people who had problems with alcohol. we wanted to market to as you said uh, pregnant anybody who is pregnant, obviously they can 't drink um, and you know we have a lot of we have a lot of kids who are with their parents and they you know, want to be able, like especially college students, uh, young on the, you know, freshman year, um, who go out to dinner and they want to, you know, behave like adults, but obviously they can't drink. Um, but there's also that component of people, you know, when they're traveling to a restaurant like ours, Spork, which is really a destination restaurant, uh, you don't want to have to take an Uber every time you go to a restaurant. That's adding another fifty dollars to an, an already oh, yeah. what can be an already expensive night. And uh, so some people, we get a lot of people who just come in, they're just, they just want to have a great dinner. They want to have uh, the same experience as somebody who is having cocktails, but not, but be able to drive home at the end of the evening and and know that they're safe.
0: Yeah, when you mentioned that, uh, I realized there are some countries that are really, really stringent about the drinking and driving, one of them being Australia. Um, I think the, the, you can't even have a beer. Is that it, Rabbit?
2: No, I think it, I think you can have like
0: sort of like half a beer. Half a beer. The, that's all. They, mm.
2: the, the, the U K clamped down on.
0: Yeah, on that's another one.
2: Very very heavily, and it, it it almost put pubs out of business.
0: Right. Yeah. What do they that, that, do?
2: That's, that's pretty severe, but but. It, if your if your business is selling things that people, when they get lick it up, they have, well, so it's, it's not gonna it's not gonna be easy to work around that, is it?
0: Yeah. You no, know, I mean, is it? Um, I, I, a friend of mine um was went through AA and. Um, she and her husband and daughter, actually all three, and they drank a non-alcoholic beer. But um, I, I sort of objected to it because everything about the experience was the same except for that wasn't any alcohol. But the habit of having the can in your hand and, and, you know, up and down to your mouth, that was the same thing. I mean, I'm, I'm not sure that... Yeah. Um, Having fake beer really addresses the problem. I'm not. That's what I'm saying. Here's, here's the question. Yeah.
3: Well, I, I have uh, I have a couple friends who are uh, sober, and uh, they one of them just likes to go out to bars, likes to have a beer, likes the taste of beer, likes to smoke cigarettes in the bar, and just uh, hang out with other people, and, and likes the com- camaraderie that a bar uh, presents uh-huh. to them. And, uh, you know, that's where, that's where it works for, you know, especially people I think in, uh, that certain age range where, you know, it is that it, that is your sort of your third place is the bar. Right. But then you realize you get to a point where you realize drinking doesn't work for me. <laughs> so how, uh-huh. how can I still have this sort of camaraderie, but, uh, not drink alcohol because that's really what the bar offers. And there's a number of different uh, beers that are non-alcoholic. Lagunitas does a bunch of them. Heineken has his Heineken Zero. And Guinness just released a uh, Zero Alcohol uh, Guinness Stout. That's amazing.
0: (laughs) Peter went to school with one of the Guinnesses. Oh, really?
2: Yeah. Yeah, I I was next in line to him when we graduated because i got to meet him someday we were alphabeticized (laughs) he was gui and i was hai (laughs) here's one of the problems i have is why does fake beer have to taste so horrible
0: (laughs) i've never had it so i don't know
2: (laughs) yeah makes a great one bad
0: you want uh, Logan, about...
3: uh, they make some great non-alcoholic beers that. Uh, Who is? Uh, you know, I've had we have we offer one at Spork, um, and it's it's the one we offer is more like a seltzer, but uh, they oh, do well, have really beer flavored beers.
0: Hmm. Well, now, um, do you do this? Now, I mean, I guess I've had tasting menus at Spork where um, you don't do wines or alcohol with every course, but you mix them up. Is is that kind of what what your program is doing, too? Or are you completely temperance? Uh, No,
3: yeah, we have, uh, so I I think you, yeah, we had the one dinner where we did, we mixed in some uh, non-alcoholic stuff because we, again, we didn't want the guests to just be smashed by the time they walk out the door. We (laughs) wanted them to to enjoy their dinner and not then at the the end have to worry about how they're going to get home. Um, This last Wednesday, we just did our first, Full temperance uh, uh, dinner, and it was all temperance cocktails, beginning to end. Um, um, tell
0: us about in, that. Tell that? us
3: what
0: what was it like, and what we tell us what some of the specific cocktails were.
3: Oh, it, it was it was
0: fantastic. I mean, we,
3: so basically, we've had the same uh, temperance cocktails on for a while. We need we were getting to a point where we wanted to just start switching stuff out. So uh, we had cocktails where we used aloe. Uh, the whole dinner was. Uh, Presented by Seedlip, who does the uh, NA distilled spirits. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had all Seedlip products. They have uh, three products: one that is a garden, one is a citrus, and one is a spice flavor. And then we just uh, came up with a bunch of different cocktails using different components. Uh, one was a uh, aloe the water ha- was a heavy component mm-hmm. in it. Another one was a uh, tomato water that we made in house and uh, basil syrup. I love tomato syrup. water. We made that in like a sort of like a Ramos Gin Fizz, um, uh-huh. and we started with a snow cone that had uh had strawberry syrup and uh, elderflower cordial, and we made a uh-huh. snow cone in a in a champagne flute. That was that was fantastic. Uh
0: huh.
3: That sounds good. Hello. Yeah, it was very well received. And we tried to do we tried to hit stuff, you know, across the border, so you'd have uh, you'd have one. Cocktail that was on the rocks, one that was in a champagne flute, one as I said, which was a sort of like a Ramos Gin Fizz. Um, we used aquafaba instead of egg, and then uh, you know oh, some really. that came in uh, in, in mark- cocktail coupes.
0: Huh. Interesting. And uh, tell me about the adjustments in the food. Uh,
3: so we basically, chef gave us a menu. And we would take components of those menus and make a cocktail to go along with it. So, really, we just worked off of whatever the chef wanted to do. Um, so, the the last course, the entree course, he did a wagyu uh, steak, and with you know components like broccoli and uh, a sunchoke puree. And so, we wanted to do. We wanted sort of want to emulate a glass of red wine. So we took uh, the seed lip product. We made a stewed fruit um, syrup in there. We used some beet juice, some eggplant juice to give it a little earthy tones and sort of made this imitation of red wine. It was served in a wine goblet and it just went great with that with that last
0: dish. And probably looked like the real thing. Hello?
3: Yeah, it, it looked like it and uh, it's it, it had the nose, we had... We had a little bit of nutmeg at the end so just it had it just it felt like you were drinking a glass of wine um with your with your wagyu filet. Huh. No
2: that that's 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 where the uh how to joke then joke and jokes from our garden went, right? <laughs>
0: that's that where is, they yeah. ran out of those. Yeah. Um, they yeah, they're out of the season now. If they're coming up for next year, they'll ready. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah I I wish you could find something to make that where you needed a lot of bronze metal cuz I have a great deal of that. <laughs> I'll talk to the chef. <laughs> I already asked him he didn't need it. Oh, okay. <laughs> then maybe he didn't really consider I needed to get rid of it. <laughs> um no people are were people asking for this program or did you just see there was popular um, at various other places
3: um, like, uh, I would say people uh, what we've seen is just overall in the restaurant we're getting a lot of people are opting for the na beverage temperance cocktails that we do um, you know, and it's really taken off to the point where our beer sales are probably, you know, any given night we're $40, $40 $50 in beer sales. We're tripling that in the uh, in the N.A. beverage sales. It, so,
0: do you have any price resistance, I mean, if you're doing non-alcoholic beverages?
3: Uh, well, our non-alcoholic beverages are, they're across the board, $8. So we do keep that price fairly low. And that, mm-hmm. you know, might be uh, might be uh, what's uh, turning people on to it to a certain degree. Um, and you know, the one thing we we try to do is make it make the cocktail uh, seem like it's like you're getting the same experience as if you are drinking uh, regular cocktails. Um, we every every cocktail is designed differently. Every cocktail has is. Presented in either like a coupe or you know some just in a in a fancy cocktail, setup so that you know you you are really getting the whole experience. Uh, One thing we did see at other restaurants, so we went to uh, Taste Encounter in Boston um, and at Noma, you know they there was a lot of the lot of what they were doing was just using kombuchas or. Different syrups, and it to me it just all felt like it like it was a second thought the the NA beverage program. Yeah, it was,
0: the reason I haven't fallen in love with um, the, the non alcoholic cocktails is people tend to make them so sweet, and I don't have a yeah. sweet tooth. And I mean yes. that to me yeah. is not an exchange.
3: No. we actually did one that was a uh, that had a green onion. Syrup in it, oh, that and it was yeah. It was and we, then we added a fruit mustard as well to the to the cocktail, wow. so it was very savory. And uh, I think that was one of my favorite ones. Uh, we also did an avocado one uh, that uh, was avocado, cucumber mixed in, and uh, and some walnut oil on top. And so like those those two were you know they both had their uh, savory umami flavors going on there
0: well you know it sounds that sounds really interesting but you know as you're talking about this it seems to me that um you're really requiring a lot of bartenders <laughs> it's the same it's kind of like you they have to have a a, a chefing degree as well
3: <laughs> yeah we i don't i don't make it easy on my bartenders <laughs> for sure uh <laughs> None of the cocktails we do is an easy uh, easy make. There's a lot of prep that goes into it, and uh, we we've got just a great team. That uh, they they sat, we all sat together and uh, just brainstormed for this uh, dinner, and they were just throwing out some great ideas and bringing me some really off the wall stuff. Um, Like as I said, that green uh, green onion syrup. Uh, We did a Razal Hunut syrup uh, for another cocktail. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just got a great team that, that, uh, it, it's nice because they're all fairly new, so they don't have any bad habits, and they're just, <laughs> and their creativity is, is, you know, it's all brand new stuff to them, so they, they, they're being creative in ways that, uh, me being a veteran, I, I sort of have a hard time, like, jumping over that bridge to new ideas and new, new flavor profiles, so. It's great to have that team.
0: Well, I'll tell you, you sound like you're really um, right in the swim of things, as they say. And uh, uh, do you see any major changes happening across the industry besides individuals tackling this in individual locations? I mean, uh, long term, what's your, what's your idea of long term it's going to happen? Uh,
3: I, I, you know, I see this as being, as you said earlier, this is definitely the the newest trend, and I think there's there's a lot of potential for the mocktails, and and every, you know, I'm follow I follow so many different feeds on Instagram and and Facebook, and it really seems like everybody is jumping on board and trying to figure out the best way to do this. You know, up until. The last couple of years it's been somebody comes in, they want a non-alcoholic cocktail, they're going to get a soda with some kind of syrup in it um, or maybe yeah. a juice or something. But, you know, and it's all stuff that they already have behind the bar. It, people are really getting innovative with this now. And, you know, I think of any trend, this is probably going to be the the biggest Fastest growing trend, in, in my personal opinion. I, I well, see it in the from restaurant. when I
0: get across my desk. I think you're right, Sean, right? Yeah. Uh, and it 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 could follow the pattern of, remember when vegetarian was all, um, what, what was it? <laughs> yeah. <You have> it? <laughs> and, and and now, uh, vegan food can be really interesting as well.
3: Yeah. Yep.
0: So yeah, know, we, I mean, we've got some great in the, the city. At the wider?
3: Uh We have some great places here in Pittsburgh that are doing uh, vegan, you know, vegetarian and vegan, which, you know, Apteca down on Penn Ave. If, if you told yeah, me no, 10 Chief, years ago, I would go a vegetarian are, restaurant.
0: <laughs> Apteca is like unusual. Um, yeah, I mean, a, a chef from Philadelphia um, who, who opened the first vegan restaurant in Pennsylvania. Philadelphia, in oh, a long time ago, way before it became accepted. Um, yeah. You know, when when I told him that we had a vegan Polish restaurant in Pittsburgh, he really freaked out. He was so happy. <laughs> yeah. And
3: I, I never would have expected myself to want to go to a, a vegan vegetarian restaurant, and I absolutely <laughs> love Apteka, and I go every chance I can.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a good restaurant. I mean, they, see, that's it. They're they're not just eliminated meat. They're doing some added value there with the flavor. So, yes. Well, well
3: yeah.
0: Sean, I I really uh, appreciate any, any bar question I ever come across. I know I can ask you, and uh, you're always available. And I Absolutely. hope that Spork does really well uh, on this. And uh, if Spork is worth checking out, listeners. If you're looking for any upscale, I would say we call it upscale nowadays, um, very very sensitively uh, produced food, and it doesn't have to. You don't have to have just mock cocktails, but they're probably great too. Because Sean's a great bartender with a great long history of attending to that sort of thing. So Sean. Thank you. Yeah, well, you are you know, you're always at the top of my list. Sean Enright, and uh, this, we're talking about the Spork Temperance Cocktails Program at Spork Restaurant in Pittsburgh, PA. Thanks for taking the time to talk to us. I guess you have a you, big, big night ahead, so go to it. And thank you again.
3: Thank you very much, guys. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Bye-bye.
1: Podcasting services for On the Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station. www.aspstation.net.
0: Welcome back. And uh, now we're going to go from no booze to Hmm. no booze. (laughs) To no care, no you booze. Um, We're talking about a very ingenious uh, vodka called Mutiny Island Vodka, which is made, believe it or not, from distilling breadfruit. And it's distinctive. We're we're going to be talking uh, to Todd Manley about this product. So just listen in. Oh, boy.
4: Technically, I am the... The chef and and founder of Mutiny Island Vodka. Um, oh, that's technically, why. Technically, the CEO, but I don't really like to use my CEO title.
0: Yeah, well, that that I remember now. Um, I, I before we started recording, I told you Todd Manley of Mutiny Island Vodka. On that, it's not usual for me to be wowed by a vodka. Well, I was certainly wowed by the Mutiny Island vodka made from fermented breadfruit. Fruit. How in the world did you ever come up with that one? And I did say at the time when I read your background, I'm not surprised now because this guy's a chef. So he's in on that flavor <laughs> understanding. So, um, so tell me what is it? The whole company is called Mutiny Island Vodka.
4: Yeah, that's it. Um, Island Vodka. You know, I, I hear you don't get excited about vodka, but um, Island Vodka is a bit different than your traditional vodka, which is typically made from grains and such.
0: Yes, and, and I'm, you know, I'm trying. I'm sure I t- tasted breadfruit because I've spent time in places like Tahiti and. And um, other South Pacific places and whatnot, as well as the, well as the um, other islands and the That's the story. Parts. The
2: story of breadfruit goes all the all the way back to Captain Cook, who explored the Southern Hemisphere on on his little boat. Right. Yeah.
4: So Captain, yeah, Captain Cook um, was a big fan of breadfruit, and he actually introduced. Um, Sir Joseph Banks, who was a botanist for King George III, um, and they actually sent him to Tahiti to explore breadfruit and to actually get breadfruit. And that famous uh, story, the mutiny on the Bounty, uh, which they've made movies from, that's actually where we get our name from because that mutiny, or that you know, on the on the Bounty, that mission was about getting breadfruit from Tahiti. That's
2: what I. That's what I thought. Man. The, the interesting thing is the, the crew—the crew that mutinied did not did not have a very good ending, if you recall. No, no, no not, <laughs> not, not, not at all. They fini- finished, uh, finished up on an island called Pitcairn, which was rather isolated, shall we say? <laughs> yeah, in the
4: inhabitants <laughs> of. Here, Karen, are still you know that that is the progeny of all the people from the mutiny on the Bounty.
0: Right, right. Now, Todd, um, where are you originally from? I am
4: originally from Reedsville, North Carolina. It's about a mile long, and you no one probably knows where that's at. (laughs) So,
0: how did you end up in the islands? Well, like I said, I'm I'm a
4: chef, and um, I had some restaurants back in the states, particularly in Virginia. And the week of Fourth of July, I'd usually close the restaurants and take my staff somewhere in the Caribbean for some cultural immersion and some culinary immersion. And one year, I ended up on Saint Croix and uh, fell in love with the people, the island, uh, the culture, everything. And and I think that was in 2004. And then I just made up my mind that somehow I got to
0: figure out how to move here. Well, you know, I think a, a chef, unfortunately, a late chef and restaurateur um, that we know. Um, he originally is French and from it was from France, and and uh, he ended up buying a property on St. Croix that was. Um, Actually, I saw photographs of it, and he didn't make it there with all he was doing very often um, until he he retired, but. Um, it, he was booked. I always wanted to go, and they they have guest options to stay there this, in this house, and it had a chef's kitchen. And I was just dying to get let loose in that in that kitchen. But every time we wanted to, it was already booked. <laughs> you could have three couples, in it, and I thought that oh. would be so much fun. But the pictures, oh, wow. the photos, yeah, were just like they undid me they were so gorgeous so, well, yeah, so it, it, it
4: is beautiful here
0: so now but how did you move from being a chef to being uh, the ceo of a distillery
4: well you know to be honest with you i am still a chef um i'm uncomfortable with the title ceo um i don't know why i just am and you know, this this was a product that I ended up opening some restaurants here in Saint Croix, and um, we went through two hurricanes one year in 2017. Um, Hurricane Irma and Hurricane Maria both hit this island. Oh right. Oh, you there. got
0: Maria too. Oh.
4: Yep. Yeah. Both of them.
0: Oh dear. So,
4: um, I had the idea for Island Vodka in 2007, and then when those hurricanes came through, I just started, uh, you know, out with some five-gallon buckets and started experimenting in 2017 and in one of my restaurants, not the most brilliant thing, making 190-proof uh, alcohol on an open uh, gas-burning stove. But um, one day <laughs> I saw the liquid come out, and it worked, and it was definitely different than anything I'd ever had before. So I um, got super excited. Then, you know, other people in the community
0: started getting excited as well. And then it just kind of happened. Well, I mean, is it a different – you probably didn't even know how to distill anything, did you? No. Um,
4: I would say in, in North Carolina, where I'm from, that I had been around some moonshining uh, members of yeah. the family, so I had a basic idea of the way it worked. Um, and then so, you know, just read up on it a lot and tried to figure out how to how to convert the starch and breadfruit to sugar and, and – and uh, finally, did it. You know, it, it's definitely a chef's product and a chef's uh, made in a chef's kitchen. That's it. Well, you can we tell like that by
0: the flavor. I mean, it just knocks your socks off. It's so, it so, I mean, you know, the the storyline on vodka is that the the more colorless and tasteless and neutral it is, the better. Which is I don't find very interesting at all but um yours, yours is clean it's not too fruity but it has enough fruit in it to be interesting i don't know how you did that
4: so we we wanted to retain the character of the breadfruit you know we wanted people to know hey th- this is different this is different from the other spirits out there um the caribbean's known for rum so we wanted to make uh, a spirit that would be atypical for the caribbean and you know if you want to make island vodka use the island potato which is breadfruit and um when we did oh, it, that's a thought it. yes
0: i mean that's it that's your starch the breadfruit right which is exactly. like potatoes right mm-hmm.
4: so so we wanted to keep that characteristic of i mean you'll notice that it it's silky smooth in the mouth maybe almost a feel like a like a wine with uh, some tannins and legs, and, you know, that's the breadfruit. So we retain that characteristic to make a uniquely different uh, product. I mean, it's the only one in the entire world, and, um, you know, that we like to say a better cocktail for a better planet because, you know, you can substitute Mutiny for rum, you can substitute it for traditional vodka, you can substitute it for gin, uh, even tequila, and... For some reason, uh, and I guess it's the breadfruit, um, just makes it better. And and then a- also the attributes of the altruism uh, that goes along with breadfruit, which a lot of people don't know. Uh, you know, the Tahitians have known it for thousands of years, but breadfruit is good for our planet and good for our people.
0: Well, I mean, of course, all, on, I've been in Tahiti, and, and I could tell you that um, that's, what everybody eats is breadfruit. No matter where you go, it's breadfruit. Everything else is brought in and heavily taxed in, in, for yep. importation. And so that mm-hmm. there's a lot of breadfruit going on in Tahiti. True. Yeah. I think that's and the that only is, thing they grow.
2: Now, do, now do you have? <laughs> a they grow bit. some other
0: things. Go ahead. what did you say? I was, Rather, was, say, I was,
2: I was just asking if if they were using any more any more botanicals or is it or is it just breadfruit i rem- remember we did a program all about british gin and there was one particular one that we liked the most and it was called something eight and we discovered that the mm. reason it was called eight was because it was the eighth, eighth attempt at coming up with a palatable gin
0: there so is. Yours, what do you do differently with your breadfruit fermentation?
4: Well, if, if, if you know, one breadfruit tree will feed a family of four for their entire life, so when you talk about Tahiti e. having all this breadfruit, that's actually food security for the community. Um, because if all that outside of the world importation of stuff were to cease, they'd still be able to sustain themselves with breadfruit. And so when we distill breadfruit, Think of it much like the way the human body digests breadfruit. If you were to eat breadfruit in the morning, it would take your body about 12 hours to digest it because it's a super complex carbohydrate. Oh, really? And yeah, and so it makes it very difficult to, ter- to turn that starch into a sugar to ferment and actually distill. So... Um, we we cook the breadfruit a great deal, try to break it down as much as we can. Think of it as like making a big watery batch of mashed potatoes.
0: Uh huh. Yeah, and 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 then what?
4: And so so after that, you know, after we break the breadfruit down, we introduce the the yeast to it. The yeast eats. Uh, those sugars that were converted uh, the, from the starch converted to the sugars, they start to eat the sugars and they produce two things, and that's carbon dioxide and alcohol. And so, um, what's left in that tank is is alcohol, and then we start the distillation process, much much like any distillation process would take take uh, take place.
0: Huh. And I mean, do you have like a big play answer? What what do you what kind of facility do you work? For? Out of
4: Well, um, it's technically a small facility, but it is big for a small facility. We, we can make about a million bottles a year, um, and human hands touch each one and each product that goes out. We taste each batch that goes out. Uh, it's definitely handcrafted. It's a 20,000-square-foot facility. About 5,000 square feet is the production space with the remainder being warehousing and a tasting room and restaurant. It's called uh, Scion Farm Distillery here on St. Croix.
0: It's called what again? Scion Farm. Scion Farm. How do you spell that? Uh,
4: S-I-O-N. That's one word. Then F-A-R-M. Scion Farm.
0: Okay, and that's your website as well?
4: Um, for the Mutiny brand, our, our website is mutinyislandvodka.com. dot com.
0: Okay, I think I have that here. Anyhow, you know, yeah, because they so use it in your email. Um, now, I think that the way that we got to know you was that you won some big award in an in uh, industry competition. Um, what was that?
4: So we, we've been we've been having some major support through the uh, NRP Applebee's group, through American Airlines. Um, and those big supporters have latched on to mutiny because of the quality of the spirit and then also because of all the positive things it does uh, for the world, uh, especially through the Teresa Feed Foundation. And we were fortunate enough or uh, to receive the gold medal in the San Francisco World That's Spirit it. Competition in the uh, vodka category. That's so a biggie.
0: Island, <laughs> that's yeah, a big that's,
4: that's, award. That's, that's that's the big one. So when we got that, we were super excited that a brand new product like an island vodka um, was able to stand stand uh, up against the you know the big, the big board. Oh yeah,
0: yeah. I mean that's. I think that's exactly what caught my attention on that. With that's a tough competition, and you're up against the giants in that. Um, now, I mean, how how do you go about uh, marketing I, I mean, you're, you're you out know, there it, on the islands.
4: You know, mark, marketing is marketing is a tough, tough, tough thing. Uh, you either got to have a lot of money, which a small company like ours don't, um, and that's one way. The other is, you know, we try through social media and our website, but mostly. We are literally, myself included, going door to door in different markets in different states and telling people about it firsthand with our mouths. The only well,
0: way ho- hopefully the people listening to the our podcast will will know and they'll be able to contact you, which is the next question. I mean, how difficult is it uh, to get the, your hands on on this spirit?
4: Well, Mutiny is actually quite easy to get because of um the the distribution that we have through the national accounts and even you know during covid they closed down all the restaurants and and all the stores so it made it very well, that's when we launched that made it very difficult to get our brand out there but um somehow a lot of people had faith in the brand like the product and they brought us on despite that so we we're, we're throughout the southeast from uh we're in Connecticut, Rhode Island, all the way down to Florida, uh, Tennessee, Texas, Missouri, Alabama, and then um, and throughout the Caribbean as well. Yesterday, we just launched for the first time uh, into Europe in the United Kingdom. Oh yeah! And yeah, and um, then on our website at MutinyIslandVodka.com, there's a button that you can click that says buy now and that makes it available in 41 states and the prices are very reasonable uh, to be online and they're shipped right to your door.
0: Okay, I'm writing that website down so we can list it on our schedule. Vodka.com. Um, Now, the, it's not all that easy getting stuff in, into the hands of, like, restaurants and bars in the States from people I've talked to. It's not all that straightforward. And, and I told you I've been talking to bartenders and um, and and trying to, to to talk about this Mutiny Island one, and one bartender told me that, in fact, you have another one with turmeric um, that's Even more amazing. Now, you said that's not really available. Tell us about this other one. And turmeric, you know, is so helpful.
4: Yeah, yeah. So we we have one that's called ginger and turmeric, and we do infusions. As a chef, when people started asking us to do flavors, um, I was kind of against adding, you know, flavors or artificial flavoring or sugar or anything like that to our product because there's only two ingredients in our and our base product, and that's breadfruit and Caribbean rainwater. So what we do is we get the turmeric and the ginger from local farms, we macerate it, chop it up, and then we essentially infuse that with our original island vodka. Um, oh. And that takes a bit of, time, bit of time to do. So what you have is truly a farm-to-bottle product. So every, everything that you um, experience when you drink it, is i mean you you're tasting the farm in there it's unadultered. um it's pretty unique too but it, it's a commitment to quality a commitment to the environment and that is also now available through um through the website in the u.s
0: oh good.
2: Uh, in the
4: caribbean however you can't you can get it throughout the caribbean huh.
0: is it clear colored i mean is it clear
4: actually it's a beautiful golden yellow
0: Well, it would be because of turmeric, I guess, yeah. I thought, I was going to ask first, uh, is is it uh, colored? But, you know, then I thought, well, maybe if it's made of vodka, they take the color out. But, um, yeah, turmeric is is, um, used around the world for the color, so that's a good thing. Um, Yeah,
4: it's antioxidant, anti-inflammatory qualities, and it's the two most sought after ingredients, both... both for um, naturalistic medicine and also for culinary use.
0: Well, you you seem to have a great deal of interest in health benefits and products.
4: Well, you know, I think um, I think that's important. I, I, you know, I don't know if that's like the number one thing we're going for because it's obviously alcohol, but um, being being natural. And being real is is definitely important to us. And you know, if if you can make a better product, uh, and you can do it that uh, helps the environment, and helps farmers, and helps people, uh, helps economies, um, you know, do things the right way. You know, there's certainly there's cheaper ways to do things, but um, do things the right way. I, I think you are always gonna always gonna win. I think people can people can tell.
0: What do the locals think of it?
4: Well the locals here in the islands, you know, have latched onto it as they're you know, they're very proud of their islands in in general. Um so so they love the spirit and they and I think even more than the spirit, they just love that the uh that the islands are getting attention from from you know, outside of the islands because of
0: uh-huh. it. Well no it, are these Tell us the extent of your products. I mean, do you do just these the vodka and the flavored vodka, or what do you do? What, what all do you make?
4: Well, we're set up to make a lot of things, and we do distill other spirits for other companies, um, not okay. with breadfruit. That is solely okay. what we do. So Mutiny Island Vodka, we just focus on Mutiny Island Vodka, and we do infusions. We have the ginger and turmeric. Uh, we have a ginger lime, which is amazing. We have a smoked hot pepper, which is a little bit spicy, and we actually smoke habanero peppers on the grill before we infuse it so you get some smokiness and a little bit of tamed down heat. Um, And then lastly, um, we're we're doing a a Puerto Rican-infused cold-pressed coffee, uh, which is just amazing, and and you treat it just like black coffee. If you want cream, add cream. If you want sugar, add sugar. Um, Wow. all All these products are great to cook with, too. Um, which is maybe a a, a, a side note um, that just happened to be because I'm a chef.
0: <laughs> you, exactly. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, you put a chef's handprint on this product, and uh, I think it's amazing. And um, I, I hope that the word gets out because it's it's something that the world needs, actually, <laughs> this particular vodka, I think. Um I don't yeah, that you know, too the, often, but it, it was a real revelation for me. I was just floored by, by it, you know and one of the um one of the things that people should know about breadfruit
4: is this bread breadfruit trees sequester tons and tons millions of tons of carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere. so the crazy thing about this brand is we incentivize farmers to plant breadfruit trees because obviously um we need the breadfruit to make our spirit. So yeah. when farmers, you know, the bigger we grow and the bigger our volume grows, the more trees have to get planted, and the more trees they have to get, get planted creates food security, creates economic opportunity for people in the islands. But most importantly, we're sequestering carbon dioxide. So as you drink, you're helping to mitigate global
0: warming. It, it's nuts. <laughs> Uh, well, we don't want to push that too much <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll feel better
2: I'll feel better with glass
0: <laughs> There you go <laughs> well, I'll tell you i mean i I think that this is one of the the best products that we've been introduced to. We've been doing this show for nineteen and a half years <laughs> so uh, and I take that as a compliment and and I really and don't. I also would invite you, um if I did my um my imaginary, my fantasy uh, dinner party, uh, people I'd like to talk to and have dinner with, you'd be on the list and <laughs> talk
4: to Oh wow. Them.
0: <laughs> yeah. Wow. so listeners, don't let this slip by you because Mutiny Island vodka is something really special. And so are you, Todd Manley. And thank you for taking the time to talk to us.
2: I wanted to say one thing before before we sign off, because I actually had the opportunity to see Captain Cook's boat, Discovery, in Australia around the bicentennial of the of the existence of the colony, and it's it's absolutely amazing because it look. Looks for all the world like a rowing boat.
4: Oh wow! Oh wow! That—that that is a
0: like a rowing boat. Yeah. yeah well, of course, we, we, he did a lot of good. But he did a lot of evil too. So we're not going to get too much into him. Right. <laughs> so. Thank you again and much success and, and hopefully much expansion for you and Mutiny Island Vodka. Thank you, Todd.
4: Thank you so much. It's been my pleasure, and I appreciate the opportunity and letting me share with you.
0: That was certainly an eye-opening, heady show. Ah, I love that Mutiny Vodka, by the way. Anyhow, uh, bravo to our guest today, and that does it for us for the week. And next time, same place, same time. And until then, bye-bye.